Hello and welcome to the Pep Talk. You're joined here with your two favorite bald frauds, Sam and Jason, talking all things Manchester City. Jason, mate, what's going listen, on? We're on a we're on a losing streak, mate. Like this this pod went from undefeated to losing streak. What is going on, Sam? <laughs> <sighs> we're we're officially the Rod routine. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, right? <laughs> I, I said I've been saying I was joking about it, like semi semi joking about it, like with my tweets and saying, like, you know, you see how dominant Rodri is with his statistics and passing, and you know, you see everything just flows through him. But I think I actually mean it now. He, we are the Rodri team. We actually struggle without Rodri, but I feel like we're struggling for a, for a couple more reasons as well. So, but but it gets a lot more amplified when Rodri is not in the team. And, you know, three out of three losses when, without him in the team. The Newcastle one, yeah, you don't look in it too, too much. Maybe we could have won that game. Even Wolves, to a certain extent, you could have won it. But it just shows how much of the level drops between whoever, whoever, whenever Rodri is out and whoever replaces him. We're, we're going to have that problem the entire season. It was just unfortunate that he's been out for other reasons than injury, which was a red card, which was stupid at the time. But... You can see how much it's impacted us just in three games. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, City haven't been horrible without him, but they definitely aren't near their best without him. And it's going to be a challenge that Pep is going to have to solve throughout the year because he's not going to be able to play every single game. And Pep will solve it. Like, we had the same problem with Fernandinho before where nobody could replace him and then Pep figured out how to get Gundogan to be serviceable there and then we ended up winning the league with Fernandinho injured and Gundogan playing the holding midfield so that's right yeah. I'm not like Pep will figure it out we, yeah we'll, we'll figure it out it'll just take some time it'll like especially Nunez needs to gel in like Nunez can play there it's just He's been here for like three weeks, so yeah. and it's the, it's the most difficult role. We've seen how much Rodri struggled when he first came to City, and everyone was like, "Oh, what would we buy?" Like, do you remember the Rodri calls? <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of people were saying, "Who'd we buy for sixty million?" And right now, we can't live without him. So, it is one of the most difficult roles to do in the team. So, you know, we bought Phillips to to do that role, and he can't even do it. So, it is a very very difficult role in this team, in this pep team to do. I'm not that worried. Look, at, at the end of the day, he's, no, not no. he's not that He's not that injured, right? He's not injured. And most games he will play. And most big games that we're going to need him for, he'll play. And we'll win those games. So I've seen a lot of angst and panic already start come out from this game. Do, do you see that or, or are you not worried at all? Like I, I message saying, like, I'm not worried at all. Like I don't, I don't feel... Like we've no, been here. Like, we've been here before. The panic is coming from people who have really short memories. Like City have lost two games. Fuck Newcastle. That doesn't even count. Like City have lost two games. Okay, and all of a sudden they stink. Like, come on. Like, do you, this was this team was in League One in our <laughs> lifetimes. Okay, and now all of a sudden we're the worst team ever. Because we've lost two games in a row. Like it, that. 
I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This game remind and like we'll get into the game in a little bit, but the feeling of this game reminds me of the Liverpool away game when we lost one 0 last season. And it's a similar time, right? So middle of October, same thing. We were looking good, then looking poor, and then looking good, then looking. And I think there was a, that game last season was like the start of the bad run of form, which is kind of a bit of an opposite. But like, there's the context is so important here, right? We went to Arsenal away, which was always going to be a difficult game without and Rodri, without Rodri, without Arsenal's dad. By the way, that's Kevin De Bruyne, so he's been he's going to be out till December anyway. We knew that going into the game. But basically, we, we, the midfield was completely different from what we're used to going into a big game. And to be fair, outside of the Newcastle game at the Etihad, that was our first big game in the Premier League this season. So to go into a big game missing two of your talisman midfield, it's going it's gonna to change the complexity of your midfield, your the way you build up, the way you attack, the way you control the game, etc. So I'm not that worried. It's... it's, it's and at the end of the day, if you look at the end result, yes, we lost 1-0. But if you actually look at the performance outside of the result, you'd say a nil all was what was going to happen. A, a deflected goal. It was pretty actually, even. Yeah, it was pretty even. Like I'd say Arsenal deserved a tiny bit more from the game, just in terms of um, Kovacic should have been sent off and they had a bit more shots, they had a bit more control in the second half, etc. And they, they were a bit more like... They look. They look more threatening, I'd say. But in reality, a 85th minute deflected goal that just is unlucky. You know, it was 0.04 xg. By the way, that that shot that Martinelli took. So it was a very low shot chance. Hits Ake. Got lucky deflection. Very lucky deflection. It happens, right? And that's kind of the the risk you take when you play a game very conservatively where you're looking for it. And let's be honest, Pep's tactics were set up more for control rather than let's go win the game 3-0, right? It was very conservative setup. Um, I think they were both set up like that too. Correct, right? Because like, they're, both, they're both scared of each other. But we'll talk like more a, about it that. It was a chess match, you know? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. And honestly, City had the best chance of the day. Like, oh, I yeah, consider. Ake should have scored. Like you, you watch that over and over and over again, you just get yeah. scored. Like same, and same then also Declan Rice that went off the line. Yeah, Gavardio's chance was. It's funny. Our both our best chances came from two centre backs. But it goes to show if though if one of those goals goes in, the conversation is completely different right now. Completely different, right? So, in a game like that with fine margins, I'm not that worried. Right, it happens. You can lose those games, especially away from home. I don't know why people are panicking. You're losing a game in October at the Emirates. It's not the first time we've gone away to a tough opponent and lost the game. Right, whether it be Anfield away, Tottenham away, Manchester United away, we lose big games away. It happens, right? And we drop points away. We're gonna play them in April at the Etihad, and we'll have Kevin De Bruyne back. We'll have Rodri back. And it's going to be a completely different game. And we'll get the three points. And then we'll probably be 10 points clear by then. So, I don't know why anyone's worrying. It's it's very strange. You know, the whole point of the start of the season and starting strong was to get those six wins to help mitigate any factors later on, right? So, you're going to lose games. It'd be more concerning to me if we dropped two out of the first six games and then Roger got the red card and then we lost two games like this. 
because then you just look at the table and you go, okay, we're, we're starting to fall behind. But we kind of built ourselves a little cushion with those first six games, right? It's fine. Like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Completely. It's I'm, fine. I'm, like, I'm, like the state and, of affair of things, I'm fine with it. And even the performance, like, yeah, it wasn't City's best, but to say it was incredibly poor is just not true. Like, okay, they were missing Bukayo Saka. We were missing Rodri. I think it's much easier to cope with a winger being out than with your holding midfielder, right? Like, Correct. If they were missing, it's, it's, it's just a different type. It's like if they were missing, like, William Saliba. Then, yep. like last year, when they had to start Rob Holding and he got fucking demolished because William Saliba was injured. It's the same type of thing. So, when City is going to the Emirates, when City is playing Bernardo Silva as a holding midfielder, and the the way they set up, and they still had the better chances, and they had more XG, like, you have to look at the performance rather than the result. And obviously the results determine games, right? But the performance generally mirrors results. They don't always reflect each other, but they generally mirror each other. If you have good, consistent performances over the course of a year, then you're going to win. And the performance wasn't horrible. It was, I think, a nil-nil draw was probably what it should have been. Yeah, and, and that's and that's what kind of what we went into the game. I think Pep that was Pep's plan. And you, you take a one or draw at the Emirates, right? Because you take points essentially away from Arsenal, although it takes points from yourself. But Arsenal, for me, Arsenal needed to win that game more than City needed to win that game. If that makes sense, it's just it's just because it's their home game. When we go to the Etihad, the same pressure is going to be on us. We're going to need to win that game, right? And it'll be on Arsenal to get a draw or not lose, right? Or, or, or try win, obviously. But, like, they'll go with the same mentality. They'll try draw us at the Etihad. They're not going to try win. We'll go in and get that game ready to smash them. But that's how it goes, right? It's We do. We used to do this every year with Liverpool. We'd go into Anfield and we'd play for the draw. We did it last season even when we shouldn't have because they were a fucking mess. And we should have just went in and smashed them. But we went for the draw again at Anfield last season, even though there weren't even our title challenges. Pep does this. He does this in the Champions League as well. We've seen it over and over again. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I I don't really see it as super worrying. Let's actually jump into the game. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's get into the specifics. So, lineup. What did you think of it? Were you surprised by any of it? Uh, I remember me and me and Lloyd were going back and forth about who 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 we thought would start, and um, Lloyd said he thinks Lewis would start. And I was disagreeing for uh, various reasons, um, but he called it. Lewis did start. I'm, I was still happy with it. So the, you had Lewis, Bernardo, um, Kovacic in in the game. And that's kind of the the main questions. Probably the only surprise was Akanji on the bench for Ake and Gavardio. I always expected only one of them to start, but outside of that, I'm happy with the lineup. It's but. You say you're happy with the lineup, but then it matters how they actually set up on the field, and maybe that's where the the tactical tweaks that Pep done um, maybe didn't work in our favor, or how we should have played. And the only other person I probably thought maybe would get a start, but who's been out of form, is Grealish. So yeah, yeah the the lineup was kind of interesting. Like the way they set up, 
it see the thing is is they didn't set up super differently from how they normally do so what they kind of did is they they normally either build up in a two three or a three two generally it's a three two but sometimes it's a two three they did the two three this time but they had both fullbacks vardiol and walker go high and wide and then they had like three holding midfielders and they kind of would switch off so they would have Kovacic, Rico, and Bernardo. And Bernardo's like the the real holding midfielder. Like he's the one who would drop the deepest. And I thought it was a good plan, honestly. Like I, I didn't see anything wrong with that because especially against Arsenal, like you need to make sure your buildup is in top shape. And I'd rather have three midfielders help with the buildup than like Kyle Walker, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And that, and somebody else. So it, it, and I don't think the buildup really, I don't think it worked well, but at the same time, like Arsenal have a really good press and city have always had trouble breaking them down, but overall it wasn't, the setup wasn't terrible by any. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, I I think it's, it's a difficult one because of who we're missing, right? If you have Rodri in that game, the complexity of that midfield is completely different, right? And we know that. We've spoken about it enough. And that's why I feel like Pep started to overcompensate trying to make up for that, for for no Rodri. And he said it in in the press conference. So without Rodri, um, I need more control in the midfield, essentially. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what he said. So him going with these type of players is just to help mitigate that risk. But by mitigating that risk, it kind of blunts you up front. And that's what I felt happened. We, we, we lacked creativity with that lineup. We lacked the ability to go through the press properly because we were overcompensating in certain areas, which kind of made the game into a bit, a bit more of a stalemate. <clears throat> Even though we struggle with Arsenal a lot when we play them away, we generally still take the game to them in a way. So we get more attacking opportunities. I don't feel like we got really much attack opportunities this game. Yeah, but neither did they. So that was the other yeah. good part is they yeah. they had really pretty but, little to work with going forward. Yeah, but both teams in reality didn't get much attack opportunities. And I'd say Arsenal didn't have any good attack opportunities. Even their goals not really considered good attack opportunities. It's just unfortunate that they actually scored from it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Yeah, for, I, for for me, for me, the tactics. So we'll talk a bit about this with Haaland, but last season we did go over the top a lot more at the at the Emirates than we did this season. We tried to play the long balls a lot more. I don't know if we lacked the quality to do it, and and you seen when Stones came on, his passing ability from the back is so much better than than a lot of our centre backs whether it be Ake or Diaz, but he, he can find and thread that pass a lot more from, from the back. So Stones being back already is going to help us with, with our build-up. Um, but I feel like going forward with these KG games, I kind of want to go back to how we went last season. I remember last season we were so dynamic towards the end of the season with how we could play versus different teams. You know, if a team wants to press us, we just go over the top and we, we feed the ball into Haaland. We've kind of gone away from that a bit. We've gone a bit too much control, but I guess that is part of us missing so many key players 
like Rodri, like Kevin De Bruyne, that we're not able to do that as effectively, or even John Stones, I should say. Yeah, I don't know. I The difference is last year at the Emirates, we didn't even give a shit about possession. Like, that yeah, we was didn't. I think we lowest 34%. <laughs> That was the lowest possession City has ever had in a Premier League game under Pep. And that also includes games where we were down to 10 men. So, like, that was the strategy was long balls to Holland, get in through the channels. And for whatever reason, Pep didn't want to do that this year. I feel like we should have went that route again. Like... We, we had even possession with them this game. It was, I think, 50-50 or no, 51-49. It was like 51-49. Yeah, 51-49. And, and the chances were almost the same, but that's... And Arsenal have struggled with fun. counter-attacking teams this season. <laughs> they haven't been that great against them, so we, we could but have sat back like, the same way we did. Instead of control, go over the top. Could that have been a you, better Are you going to try to tell Pep to not yeah, I know. possess <laughs> the ball? Like, that's just... It's in our DNA. And yeah. so... That's fine. It's like these things happen. In another universe, Ake scores that goal and City win 1-0 and nobody's losing their heads. Nobody's yep. saying... Everyone would have said tactical masterclass by Pep. <laughs> yeah. like yeah, That's how it goes. That's how it goes. If it, if it was really shambolic, then I would have... like Then that's different. But it wasn't. And... Like Arsenal might be this, you know, the best team in the league other than City, and City just went to their ground, played them evenly without Rodri, who's maybe the best midfielder in the world right now. He so, is the best midfielder, yeah. Exactly, and so I I can't really be mad at that. Like, yeah, obviously you want a better result, but I can't really be mad at that. And we're eight games into the season. Let me like to put that into context. That's less than a quarter of the. That's like twenty percent of the season. Yeah, there's a long so, way to go. A lot of twists and turns. Yeah. So a lot of okay, we go. We're doing fine. So let's go through. Let's go through the first half. So we have Bernardo's yellow card. Pretty early on. Yep. I thought that was a pretty stupid yellow card to be honest. We had a lot of stupid challenges this game, to be honest. I don't know what was going yeah. on, but we had a lot of stupid challenges. Yeah, that brings us to Mateo Kovacic. Do you think he should have been sent off? I think both were yellow cards. Both were borderline red cards, but definitely yellow cards. He sh- his, his second challenge, which was, I think, what, five or ten minutes after his first yellow card, was fucking stupid to begin with. And then he should have been sent off. Like, I can't deny. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to be. You know, say, oh, it's not a yellow card. It's not a yellow card challenge. No, it's a yellow card challenge. The ref bottled it, and this is why people hate referees in in the UK. It's because they're shit and they don't know how to do their jobs. And he should have been sent off. We were very lucky. Very lucky. I'll take it every day because you need sometimes a bit of luck. Even though we didn't, we didn't win the game, but he should have been sent off. Hundred percent. That was a second yellow card. And you could argue either one could have been a red card because in both scenarios, he had studs up. He was he missed the ball completely and he caught the man with his studs. So, yeah, I can't argue. <laughs> it's simple, simple as a fact. And, and 
the, the, the honestly thing that bothered me the most was you done a stupid challenge, the first one, which gave you a yellow card, which could have easily been a red, and then five to ten minutes later, you're doing the same thing. Come on, man. Yeah, I... To me, it reminded me a lot of Huang's challenge last week for Wolves. Yep, and he should have been sent off too. <laughs> exactly. So this is kind of the football gods giving City a little bit of life back. Yeah, not really, uh, because we lost both wheels. <laughs> but I mean, like, <laughs> at least not putting us down to 10 men. You know? so, the first one was an orange card, I would say. Yep. Uh, it yeah, was, yeah. I thought it was like... They're both borderline. I, I don't think the second one was uh, red. I think so. The first one was a definite yellow and it would have been a, a somewhat soft red. So I think yellow is it's fine because he didn't go high. That's the other thing. Yeah, look, like, the, the, ref, the, the ref did the right thing by giving him a yellow card and then letting VAR decide if it is. Yeah. Red, right? Yeah. So that's fine. I, I'm good with that. The second one was pretty much it was. The prototypical yellow to me. I, I did not see. I did not see a red in the second one. I but definitely a yellow. And so the fact which, that which, yeah, which brings you, me to a, a different point. Sorry, I, I feel like sorry, sorry to cut in, but I feel like VAR should be able to give a second yellow card if it means sending off the person. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> you don't want VAR intervening in everything. And no, not not everything. Sorry, I just just if they if the was, player's on a yellow card and another yellow card means being sent off, he should be able to get involved. But to me, if was, I if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be fuming at that decision. It was quite surprising that Michael Oliver just like waved it off almost immediately. <laughs> he actually, if you look what he said, he he just looking at not nothing in it. <laughs> it's like, what are, are you blind? <laughs> Look, re- yeah. refereeing, refereeing is difficult. We know refereeing is difficult, but yeah, to me, that was... Also, I think one thing that bothers me is when people say that VIR needs to be scrapped and no, we need, need to go scrap. back to how it was because that's bullshit, in my opinion. And I'll tell you why. Like, first example we see was the Liverpool Spurs game, right? They clearly messed that up. Do I care? No, because it it resulted in Liverpool dropping points and I'll never (laughs) complain about that. But in terms of like what actually happened, that used to happen once a week. I think we all forget that like before VAR terrible, those offside, either somebody scored a goal that was offsides or somebody didn't score a goal that wasn't like it. It was always one way or the other where they would call them offsides when they weren't or they would call them onsides when they were offsides. Happened all the time. And we were desensitized to it because it happened so much. So now, the one time they do not get it, everybody collectively loses their heads. It is never going to be perfect, but it is better. Okay? It is better than what we had. And this, like... It's you're just it's the nature of complaining about referees. You're not a true sports fan if you don't complain about referees. <laughs> I can tell you in every, every sport, sport I watch, every single sport, it doesn't matter what it is. You think the referee hates your team. You think like it, 
that's that's it's how just the nature. It's just the nature of it's, the beast. It's, it's the nature <laughs> of it. So to, to everyone that complains about VAR, I just say go back and watch the Champions League games against Liverpool in 2016, 17, or sorry, 17, 18, when there was no VAR and about four goals were ruled incorrectly in that game. Go yeah. watch that. And, and then you'll say, oh, yeah, that was a lot of bad calls in those games. And if VAR was available, Salah's goal would have been disallowed. Sane's goal would have been allowed. Um who else would have scored? I think the second game we had um, another Sane goal that should have been allowed. There were so many goals in that in those two legs where the five-one Liverpool win would have been probably a four-three uh, Man City win. That's how much VAR would have intervened in those two games. So, to anyone complaining about VAR, just go watch those two games and you'll see how shit t- uh, referee decisions were, and you'll say, okay, yeah, you know, no, no, keep VAR in. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, anyway. I just. That's just how it is. So, yep. okay. COVID church somehow escapes. That's the main thing. It just needs to be better. We, yeah. we, it needs to be improved and the referees need to be better, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. So, okay. COVID church escapes his red card. Doesn't do anything crazy for the rest of the half, at, the, at least. Um, going into halftime, do you think he should have been yanked? Yes. Yeah, because because he was on the yellow and because he was on basically what we call a warning for a second yellow, <laughs> it basically meant that he needed to um, he needed to avoid any any controversial call again because Mike Oliver would have sent him off for even the, the slightest foul. So to me, he should have just been hooked because he was gonna be he's gonna be playing on extras for the rest of the game, and because doing two stupid challenges like that. If I was a manager, I'd be furious at a player like that. He's like, like, what are you doing? Are you trying to make us lose the game without even having a chance? Yeah. Yes. I, I would have hooked him. <laughs> I honestly would have liked to see Grealish come on to give City a little bit more control on the wing. Um, I agree. That would have been nice, but clearly that wasn't in the cards. He left Kovacic on. And their goal didn't come till after City made a bunch of changes, anyways. Um, so and he he did at least he didn't do anything stupid the rest of the half. Yeah, he didn't. So, he didn't. But the the overall game plan in the second half was just even more conservative than the first half. So like we had we had a, like it was it was it was a weird game. We had twenty minutes of domination in the first half to start the game, and then from there we just conceded the entire game to Arsenal in terms of control. Like, I I don't feel like we had, we weren't pressuring Arsenal enough in their final third to even worry them, I don't feel. Like, do we even have a shot in that second half? I can't remember any shots that we had in the second half. And we've got a generational striker up front who had essentially zero shots. It's not really, not really great, a great look when... And that's that's probably my my biggest concern from this game was the lack of creativity from either the middle or the wings because we didn't go from the wings we we mostly played through them for through a narrow middle and we couldn't feed Haaland we couldn't yeah. like like Haaland like a lot of play, people are saying like Arsenal absolutely pocketed Haaland which could be true but in reality we should be creating chances you need you need to be able to put something on a 
anything or any opportunity for Haaland to take a shot, if you're not doing that over 90 minutes, for an entire 90 minutes, then something in your game plan is completely wrong, tactically speaking, or even personnel speaking, or even player performance speaking. So you can't go a game with with a player who scores from like one out of every four shots not having any shots. It's not right. Yeah, I guess the way the way I kind of see it is I think Holland should have dropped a little more in the buildup and tried to hold the ball up a little more. I thought when he did that, it, it worked well. He just didn't do it enough. And that, I think, would have helped City progress up the field because there was a clear disconnect between the back line in the midfield uh, and progressing forward, right? Like you could get it to Kovacic or Bernardo or Rico, but there was no, like you have those guys in there to kind of carry the ball forward and they just couldn't do it. So there was a real disconnect between them and the forward line of like Foden and Alvarez and, and Holland. And so I would have liked to see Holland drop a little more and kind of hold the ball up. He did it a couple times, and I, he, I he did it. Like he that. he did it. He did it. He did he did drop a drop a bit deep and play the ball off, etc. But I feel like Haaland's Haaland's in a, in a and it's safe to say this now. You know, before I was like, oh, I'm a little bit worried, but I'm not really worried because he's getting chances. But he's he's not in good form, and I feel like the international break is probably a good thing for him because it would just help him clear his head. Because he, he has been getting stuck in his head a little bit, I, I feel, over the last three, four weeks or however long it's been. So he's not in the best form. And even his, even his build-up play, et cetera, when he comes deep, you know, he's, he's, I feel like he's overthinking a little bit, um, which is not helping his, his ability to score goals. But, yeah, it's just tactically speaking from an attacking point of view, I don't think we set up correctly. Yeah, it was just... It's tough when you don't have Rodri in there. Exactly. And that's like exactly. kind of how you have to adjust because you have Bernardo as the holder, so you don't have Bernardo kind of a little further up the pitch or as a winger. And like, I don't blame Pep for not being able to trust Mateus Nunes yet. I think yeah. that once he is kind of up to speed, he will be the number six when Rodri is when not needed. There. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. And he's just like, he's been here for a month. So what? It's <laughs> not a big deal, but he, I think there will be added dynamism in the future as well. And so we're going to keep, that's the other thing. The city's going to keep improving week by week. Like, these guys are only going to keep improving. The new guys are <laughs> only going to keep getting better. And, and so, Rodri's back next game, so whatever. And yeah, and Rodri's back. But just in general, these guys not only are they better, but it also the fact that City's getting back to better health, they have much more variety as well. Like the players are not the same. They're we have now more diversity than I think we even did last year. Like you have Grealish or Doku who are very different wingers and you can deploy them together. Potentially you could deploy them separately. So that that gives you a diversity of attack. Mateus Nunes, Mateo Kovacic. They're very like, they're very different from like a Bernardo Silva or a Phil Foden or a Kevin De Bruyne. And 
the fact that City now has these options that have different skill sets is really good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really nice about this team, even compared to last year, is there's there's a diversity there. So that just gives Pep more tools tactically. And I and John Stones also helps with that a lot. Like having him back and healthy is a game changer because nobody can really do what do his he role, does yeah. at that level. Nobody. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited to see John Stones. So like, like I wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if we go into the Brighton game in two weeks' time, and you have Stones in the back line, Walker, um, Diaz, Gvardio on the left, and then Stones and Rodri midfield. It would not surprise me one bit to see that, and you'll see Foden and Alvarez up front. With with Harlan etc. with one of the wingers, but for me this game another thing besides the tactics and maybe the tactics didn't help was most players in the game didn't really have a good performance right so I think outside of Lewis and Cavadio I don't really think anyone had a really really good game you know what I mean like it was just average or to, poor to average I'd say right. Yeah. Lewis, Lewis, for what he did in that position, <laughs> eighteen. Come on, like he was great. He was probably our best player. Yeah, he's so good, man. Like he, and and the crazy thing is, he's only gonna get better. And I feel like Lewis is gonna get with the way he's playing. Lewis is gonna get a lot more minutes in midfield, and he is a midfielder for me. He's not. He's not a fullback. He's not. I don't, no. I don't see him playing fullback much anymore this season. So, I feel like we. On on the left, it's always going to be Gavardi or Ake going forward, and on the right, it will be uh, a Kanji slash Walker, uh, depending on the game. Um, so for me, we kind of kind of have those options now, and I don't think Lewis is an option to play on the wing uh, on on the fullback sorry anymore because he's so good in midfield, and I feel like that's going to be his permanent position. He's so good there for, for eighteen years old. What he's doing is crazy, and to do that against back to back against Leipzig and then Arsenal to have those two performances speaks volumes of how good and talented of a player he, he is. So, yeah, we've unlo- we've got a gem there. So, I hope Pep keeps playing in there more, more and more uh, to get more comfortable. And it wouldn't surprise me to t- for him to take more and more and more minutes away from both Nunes and Kovacic going forward. Like, he's that good. You've got to play him. And the only way to make him develop faster is to play him more. Yeah. And what was interesting too is... I thought he was good. I thought Alvarez was great in his pressing. Like he was good in his he, pressing. He could have had, that, was, had that. He was kind of isolated out there. Yeah, as well. it's an, an he, ominous. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't really put that down to him, but his pressing, like he very well could have had a goal or easily when he blocked the Raya. the, the Raya. And, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like there were a couple mistakes from Raya that City should have capitalized on something. Yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah, and then, and that's I what we said. You that, have to in the Arsenal game, like when yeah. I think it was Tomiyasu, Tomiyasu yeah. did that back pass last year, and Kevin De Bruyne chipped the keeper. Like those are the things you need to do in big games. You need to capitalize on their mistakes, and yeah, and that's where they just didn't do that. And that's where those big name players come in play, like Kevin De Bruyne or Rodri. They are they do capitalize and they do perform no matter what, who no matter the opponent, right? And when you play, you know, when you play Nottingham Forest or whatever, you can get away with one of those players missing. 
But you're playing Arsenal. It's a difficult game. You know, as much as we like to joke around Arsenal, you know, we like to, you know, Man City's their dad or whatever. They're still a difficult opponent and you're going to need your best players against difficult opponents. And Kevin De Bruyne is one of those players. And same with Roderick. So, <clears throat> not too concerned going forward. And like, like we said earlier in the pod, another day, we have a 1-0 lead in the first 10 minutes and the complexity of the game is completely different. Right? So, it happens. Yeah. It happens. Um, but overall, yeah. Uh, Lewis... Great game. I thought Bernardo was fine for for the task he was given. Yeah, no, Bernardo was fine. I was happy with Bernardo. It's just the yellow card that he did early on kind of hurt the way he had to, was able to play. Um, but outside of that, I was happy with his performance. Yeah. Um, you know, for, I think especially for Foden and Alvarez, they honestly, there was such a disconnect between them and the midfield that they didn't really get a lot of opportunities. You know what I mean? So it's hard to judge their performance when and that's they, they weren't really on the ball Arsenal. much. Got to give oh, credit yeah. to Arsenal. They pressed very well and they man-marked very well when we were trying to move and build up the ball. Like A lot of times, uh, back line or even the midfielders were trying to bring the ball forward. <clears throat> and whether it be Alvarez or Foden... Um, or even Haaland, the pressure was so quick from Arsenal that we didn't deal with it that well. And again, this is where players like Rodri, like Kevin De Bruyne, come into play where they see this press beforehand. And this is probably where, you know, a room of opportunity probably and room for improvement for players like Foden, like Alvarez, as great as have been in the last, you know, five, six weeks for us, they'll get better at dealing with, with teams like Arsenal, the way they do play us. Because doing doing those build-up plays against, like I said, Nottingham or, or Wolves or whoever we play is a lot easier to do than we, when it comes to playing Arsenal because Arsenal are very good the way they try to win the ball back. They play very similar to us, how we used to do back in back in 2018-19 where we used to press really, really fast. And it makes a difference. It applies pressure to your, to your players. And you have to be almost perfect. And... Our players, like I said, they didn't have the best of games, so suddenly it doesn't look as much in, as in control. I will say, like, City's press was very, very good as well. Mm. Like, they they had very little opportunities, and I think, what was it, like, 0.4 XG they had for the whole game? Like, they had very little opportunities, and for much of the game, they could not get out either i'll and give you a little even stat. when they even when they did progress the ball they they really didn't offer much in the final third like the, no. there there were really no opportunities they had where you said that should have been a goal they, oh yeah they had very little opportunities 100 I'll, I'll give you a stat so Ake's Ake's chance in that first 10 minute play whatever it was was I think 0.3 xG, which is almost all of Arsenal being put together. So it's just a, it's a game this tight, game of opportunities, deflection, goal goes in. You live with the result, and and this is why I'm not that worried because, like I said, it's October. We're eight games in. You know, if you look at and like we can talk a bit of state of play about the, the Premier League, right? There's if you look at the top six or seven, there's like two, three points between all of them. It would have been nice. 
to beat Wolves and then come into Arsenal with an opportunity to go seven points clear of them. But in reality, you, you got to have losses over a season, right? So, um, and when it, it just doesn't look like maybe the, you know, we thought we might run away with it by December. Maybe we won't run away with it by December because, you know, factors change things. Rodri getting a suspension or injuries, et cetera, can have a, fact, uh, a factor on how your season starts off and how it ends. Um, again, Arsenal now don't have Saka. We don't know how for how long he's been in and out with injuries for a while. So that could change their projection of how they're going to go for the next few games. And we've had a bit of an easier run to start the season, but now we've got a difficult run. This is where this is where this is where now it's a bit of crunch time for the early season to know how well we are and how, what level we're at. Because like I said, we've got Brighton, and then we've got Liverpool, Man United. These these games are all coming up in in very quick succession. Um, I think we play at Anfield as well, don't we? No, no, we played at Etihad against Liverpool, so that's not too bad. Um, but those games are going to make a big difference to to how we start. And the other teams around us are going to drop points. Maybe Tottenham might win the league, like yeah, that's the way it's going. So it's so early to tell. It, you can't actually make any conclusions or long term conclusions from a game like this, right? If you yeah. if you had if we had the same mentality, then this ta- this time last year. We're saying we're not winning the league because we just lost to Liverpool 1-0 at Anfield and we're fucking shit and we can't win games. But then we went and won, won the treble like five months later. All right. So. Yeah, there's there's plenty of games. Let's, let's look ahead a little bit. Next game after the international break, I think it's nice to have a, a little international break for the mm-hmm. team. Not as much for us. I feel I'm tired of international breaks. But I fucking hate international breaks. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, next game up, Brighton at home. That's going to be a tough game. Like very I, tough. Yeah. But I will say what I do like that I have seen from Brighton is, um, they, they is get talked. Their defense, <laughs> their defense is leaky. To say they've the got a, and they've got a few injuries. So Stepinian is out for a while. Um, mm-hmm. They've been struggling with the the Europe slash uh, you know midweek Europe games going into Premier League. Like they're adjusting to that as well. Um, playing in Europe, they are. But they're they are, they're still such a good team. They're such a good team, but we should be going to their game and beating them, especially because we're playing at the yeah. Etihad. Um, and I think that'll give us confidence too if we can go in there at the Etihad overwhelm them because you can see once you get a goal against them and they start pushing they are open and Zerbi is amazing (laughs) but that team like they are open and they're a really good team I really think they can finish top four it is very possible very very possible they yeah it's not going to be an easy game but I think at the Etihad after the international break I think we'll be prepared, which is which is very good. Yeah, and I I don't think it's a secret how much I love Deserby. <laughs> well, he's already been suggested to be um to be the next manager. So here's the okay. Here's the thing about that is that is so. I I would love it too, but it is so in the moment, and that's one thing we exactly. need to understand because remember last time. When we didn't know Pep was going to extend, what, three years ago or whatever? Mm-hmm. 
Who did everybody? What were the? What was the clamor? It was Eric Ten Hag, right? Yeah. Everybody was uh, saying uh, Eric, that was, Eric Ten Hag's. There was Brendan Rodgers calls. Jesus, I remember those, and I was like, no, please no. But <laughs> there was there was a lot of like the the hot coach that would have come in and kind of worked would have been Eric Ten Hag, right? Very similar style. Um, it, he was kind of the hot name on the market. <laughs> it wouldn't have surprised anyone. And so it's very, like, it changes every couple of years. So, yes, yeah. I would love Deserbi at City. But by the time Pep leaves, it could be somebody else. And That's it wouldn't true. surprise me at all. It That's could true. be, like, and who who doesn't say Pep doesn't extend even more? So what is Roberto Deserbi going to wait at Brighton for four years or whatever, even for two years. I don't think I, he would. I just hope I think he doesn't he'd get a bigger job before that. I just, hope he doesn't end up in, I just hope he doesn't end up in Manchester United after they suck out. I don't think he would. <laughs> That'll be career suicide. I, I, feel, I feel like managers start realizing how much career suicide going to Manchester United is. I think they're starting to realize that with PSG as well. Yeah. It's those two places where you can't really judge how good a coach is when they're mm-hmm. there is PSG and United because like and, and Chelsea too it, to an extent to an extent yeah but like if you look at PSG they have Pochettino looks like Chelsea looks good they're they're going to get better and he's improved them a lot when you look at Thomas Tuchel when you look at Carlo Ancelotti when you look, like Luis Enrique is a much better coach than what they've been doing right now mm-hmm. it's a place where coaches go to die and yep. that's just that's just how they are there and that's how united is as well like but okay let's talk about united for a second cuz it's always fun to talk about them um, <laughs> hey listen they won on the weekend we didn't <laughs> it, it kind of annoyed me because i had money on brentford and scott <laughs> mctominay ruined that but honestly when you look at United, like, you can't place all of the blame on Ten Hag, and you can't place it all on, I don't want to hear this, oh, the Glazers, oh, the Glazers. The Glazers aren't kicking the football. So, at some point, like, the the blame has to be spread, right? It's not all on one person. It's it's a multitude of issues, yeah. But there's also, like... Oh, I will say that a good amount of blame does have to be on the owners or at least the, the management because they establish a culture and almost no coaches can go into a shit culture and turn it around. Like very little coaches can do that with an entire club. So yeah. I think Eric Ten Hag was kind of in a losing situation when he arrived. And it's really, really hard for him alone to turn things around. Like you have to, it's it's incredibly hard. And so if you look at Ten Hag, say say Pep left a couple of years ago and City brought in Eric Ten Hag. He, his situation is infinitely better. And so the choices you make, like in terms of where to go, can really affect how you are as a player or as a manager. A player, we see it too. Like, Harry Maguire. Does anybody think Harry Maguire would have been this bad if he went to Manchester City and played for Pep? No. 
So I think it highlights that for managers and for players that where you go really affects what you will be as a player. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all that. Uh, for me, United's issues are definitely multifaced, right? So it's coach, players, mentalities, you know, the whole Jan and Sancho situation just is speaks volumes of how that club operates in, in a way. You know, if, if, if you've got a player that costs 73 million pounds out looking on the outside and issues very public, you know, something's not right top to bottom. You, know, you just look at our Cancelo situation. There wasn't much media talk before Cancelo got kicked out, right? But I'm sure there was things brewing between him and Pep for a while. Um, so it's things like that where, you know, it shows it's a top, it's a top to bottom thing, right? It's for me if they're signing players and they don't they're not they're not doing profiles on them like we do or like Liverpool do, etc. You should know what type of personality you're bringing into your club, not just the talent ID, right? So this a club should avoid players that they know will be toxic, but United doesn't do that. So it's it it's a lot of factors. From recruitment to owners to coach to the players they have to <laughs> like for me like the Rashford contract extension last season is an example right he goes on three three months of good form and they give him a massive new contract but he's done that before where he goes on tiers of form and then as soon as he gets his contract he falls off and that's what we're seeing this season with him he's not playing his best he's looked very poor playing from the left um, and it's it's combinations of these things that they continuously do that doesn't help them, right? So for me, it's a top down issue, not just a not just a coaching issue. So how Eric Ten Hag <laughs> do I think he's he would have been a better manager somewhere else? Probably a little bit, but I don't think I think he's showed that he's not probably the best manager because the the, the best way to, to 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 look at United is say what's their style of play, and they still don't have a clear style of play. And we're a year and a bit into Eric Ten Hag's tenure now. So that tells you a lot about the type of manager he is. You know, you look at De Zerbi, you look at Pep, you look at Klopp, you look at all these type of managers. They have a very distinct style, and they either stick to it or they adjust to suit their team. With Eric Ten Hag, I don't know what type of manager he is. When we first heard about him, he, all I heard was he's like Pep, likes to build up, likes to press, blah, 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 blah. But are they doing that? Do they play like that? No. So to me, yes, it is a top-down issue, but it's also a manager issue because I feel like Eric Ten Hag doesn't know what he wants to do. And that's... It, it's like it's like you either a manager should either stick by the ideologies and die by them or actually adjust and make and show that you're a flexible manager. I don't know what Eric Ten Hag is. It's so hard to tell with him. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't really have the, like, he doesn't have the excuse of saying, well, I don't have players that can execute my style. Right? No, not anymore. They were very different at Ajax. He, his team was very different at Ajax. But he has plenty of players to execute his style, and he has quality players. Like, Pep made 
when Pep came to City, he made everyone better. And yeah, it took him a couple of years to get everyone he wants in, but he still had plenty of players that were there from before when he came. Raheem Sterling and uh, and Kevin De Bruyne and Fernandinho. Fernandinho hit his peak at age 34 because of Pep. <laughs> so, yeah. and, you know, Vincent Company, Nico Odomendi, you name it. And so... Yeah, I haven't seen any like, players improve with Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, and look at Deserby. He had them playing better almost instantly. Yep. So when I look at Eric Ten Hag, like I I don't see an excuse for why you're not playing better because they've spent money on the guys that you wanted, right? You yeah, wanted tell, Anthony. He's, he's telling you wanted shit. Martinez. Like you got Casemiro which Casemiro views it as a retirement party more than anything. But you wanted all of these guys, and they went and got it for you. And yet it was stupid of them to just blindly trust you. That's the reason you have a scouting department is so that you don't just blindly start buying guys that your manager wants. Um, You wanted Onana. Onana looks awful. So at some point, like there's there's plenty of blame to go around, and at some point you need to take responsibility for all that. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, let's uh, wrap up on that point. United are shit still, which is good. <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to when we do come back to the international break because, yeah, I, f- I feel like we'll be a lot better with Rodri back in. And you'll see how much better of a team we are, both creating and defensively. Like defensively, we've been fine. I think without Rodri, but you'll see how much dynamism and attacking opportunities we get just by virtue of Rodri being in a team. So, all right. Yep. All right, guys. Have a good international break. I know I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate international breaks. And we've got another one in November, like like a month later. It's bloody stupid. Great. Anyway. All right. All right. See you guys. See you guys. Cheers.